Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And Youngmi, we have an awesome guest today. Yay! Yeah, we do. Um, before we get to the guest... Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Me? Oh, I was going to plug a, a charity that you can all donate to. It's Black and Pink Org. It is a national organization that helps incarcerated um, LGBTQIA plus people um and also people that are living with hiv aids it's a great organization please donate today on my end i was going to just plug ourselves plug our podcast yeah you are because with your whole chest with my (laughs) 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 because normally we plug our podcast after 59 minutes of runtime and shamefully right with (laughs) just the most shame and marketing experts will tell us that that is not the appropriate way nor the most effective way to promote ourselves so we're going to do it up top this time so if you're listening please take a screenshot on your phone share it on instagram run to the hills climb a mountain yell that feeling asian podcast is the best podcast in the world and uh, like and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes. Leave us a review on iTunes. Whatever. Yeah. Just just share. Spread the yes. love. Young Me and I love doing Please. this podcast very much. And yeah. we also love, you know, introducing you to some amazing, amazing guests. And without further ado... Like do you our wanna... guest today. Right. So do us the honor, Young Me. Our guest today is a very... A well-known stand-up comedian based in New York City. She performs all the time at the Comedy Cellar, which you may know as the biggest, most important comedy club in the world. Everyone right now, get excited for Brittany Carney. Hello. Hi. (laughs) How are you? Of course. Thanks for being here. We're so excited to see your wonderful face over FaceTime. What a platform, FaceTime. Save the day. <laughs> yeah, we tried doing Zoom and it was terrible. And right. then we switched to FaceTime and now it feels like we're talking in the future. It's so crisp and nice. Right, right. See, this is an example of we need to just stick to our guns here because in quarantine, everyone was all hot on Zoom. Zoom was the yeah. new kid in school. Meanwhile, FaceTime just in the corner doing its thing. And we just want to formally apologize to FaceTime because this is way better than Zoom and Zoom can go fuck itself. It's like the partner that was really good for you before, but then you didn't appreciate because of somebody like (laughs) (laughs) new and exciting. Yes, Zoom Zoom is the neck tattoo muscly guy. Yeah, Yeah, you're like, oh, squirrel. Only (laughs) wants to hang out with you at 3 a.m. inside your bedroom. I know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Meanwhile, FaceTime is texting you happy birthday, even though you took your birth date <laughs> off of Facebook. <laughs> You've remembered. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my oh God. God. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see FaceTime. <laughs> Youngby, how are you feeling? Oh, um, okay. So I always, I feel like whenever we have a guest, I feel like it's so rude that we don't ask them first. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> more along the lines of just just you know trying to be more brave not what, what's the word self s- trying to promote myself more i guess Self-love. i should stop feeling bad 
self-love what's what's the word being more like entitled i guess (laughs) (laughs) young me is canceled i (laughs) i can take up space too (laughs) is it my turn to talk i'm nervous um so (laughs) okay so how am i feeling um so i wanted to tell you this funny story because i hooked up with somebody let's go (laughs) i don't know is that bad are we allowed you're allowed you're exercising self entitlement self-love yeah this is the this is the episode where i just everyone finds out that i'm a horrible person it's like fine i think earlier on like i think we're in a different phase experientially of like hookup culture and and covid right we're like early on in the shutdown some a friend was like, yeah, it's like you have to if you're with several people, you have to like disclose as if you're exclo- disclosing like a like an STI, but it's just like oh. whether or not you've seen a few people. But I feel like yeah. we're in a different phase also of like experiencing, yeah. I don't know, saliva in a body or something. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's OK. It <laughs> as was for my medical opinion. Well, <laughs> I think it's totally fine. Although I did notice something funny on dating apps where people are starting to disclose in their profiles that they have COVID antibodies. And I'm like, what? I'm like, this is weird. And also, just because you have antibodies doesn't mean that you're not going to get it again. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. It feels sort of, that feels like a dystopian. If there was like a movie, like a science fiction movie, like that feels like something that would be on on an app. But anyway, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, another thing I guess is that I guess we're in a different phase because I have been quarantined by myself this entire time, right? Right. And this person also had been, so it's like, right. You know what I mean? So I was like, well, you know. Yeah. And it's at this point, it's been more than three. I think it's been like three weeks since it happened, at least. It's I would say three weeks. So I feel like I'm not. You sick, feel okay? So yeah. 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 Um. I guess that's a good time. I'm like, what if I, what if I, um, what if I get like fired from life? What if I get canceled? <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I actually, it's fine. You know what? This podcast is all about owning up to stuff. Exactly. I also, yeah, and also I have to say that the what I just said about the quarantine, like self quarantining. You know, I've literally not interacted with anybody, so I think I think Ooh. that was like really safe. Was it fucking amazing? I imagine it, it must have been so, incredible. It was, it was like, you know, like when something feels so good that it's like terrible. It's like that. <laughs> Whoa. Do you know what I mean? Like when you like, it's like that feeling like, you know, like when you're petting a cat and they're like, yeah, I like it. And then yeah, they and get really like, mad and they start biting you. Yes. <laughs> Cause it's like, if it, it like overstimulates them. So yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I just like, I feel like it was like a, a physical and emotional, like short circuiting that was happening. I cried. Well, oh, I've, shit. I've, 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 I used to cry a lot during sex anyway. Yeah, I get but that. I cry when I, when but I there was an extra this, je ne sais quoi to this, to this cry. It was more, <laughs> it was very like, cr- it just felt like crazy and loud and I was crying and I don't know, you know, it was just like too much. Sounds I like was just cathartic. like, cat. cathartic yeah, yeah. and, and the catharsis. Young me, I don't then, think you have anything oh, to then, feel bad about because as, as someone who has not, Ryan. as someone who hasn't hooked <laughs> up in 
God knows how long. I am so <laughs> fucking jealous. I am <laughs> I'm fuming over here. <laughs> I don't know if you should do it. I mean, it was good, but I don't know if I recommend it. Mm, it was uh, a no, little too much. Me, no, no, like, not oh. going to take your advice. <laughs> I am fully going to try to do it when I go... <laughs> It was so funny because like we were just like sitting, we were kind of like doing like a whatever safe date, right? Like walking around and then like I went over and then we were just the entire time didn't touch at all, just talking to each other. And I was like scared. I think we were both just terrified. We're just like, okay, cool. Like not touching at all. And then at one point I just saw this person just coming towards me, like their hands and their face. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, no. <laughs> Help me. And I was like, try- I was like, it literally felt like I was, like taking those two Barbie dolls and like, <laughs> you know, when you take those two Barbies and you make them have sex and they're just like sort of and, just <laughs> oh my gosh like limbs are flailing yeah um, wait i have i have an intimate question young me so yeah when you first met this person like did you feel like did you feel really attracted to them like you were like oh i want you know when you like meet someone like, and you're like oh yeah, i want to yeah. make out with them like yeah, yeah i really yeah, want I to did. and it kind of is it's like in your brain did you feel that oh. fr- up front yes and so did you it was feel the like first you time that i'd ever anyway? seen them because i met them on hinge that's right you know what i mean and there's something so different i think about like actually experiencing like i don't know probably it's pheromones but now that we can tell it's just like yeah. oh like skin and a body and a face that you're like experiencing <laughs> lifetime yeah it's yeah. very sexual it's so also you know like when you meet somebody on hinge even before covid or whatever and the thing that you can't see from photos is like how their face moves yeah like their little like little like movements and how they move their hands and things like yes, that you can't catch it like- in a picture yeah, and that to me is what I'm actually attracted to in a person. I think it's really so, powerful. It's really yeah. personal, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's like it can be really hot, like the way that a particular person smiles or something or like the way their yeah. like eyes wrinkle. Yeah, so Yeah. And so I feel like when I first saw that person, I was like that all the of those things I found attractive, which is great because you never know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, do you think people that, like, are COVID lonely are, like, they ignore that? Like, if they don't find them attractive, they're still like, I'm still going to have sex with you. I'm sure that's happening. (laughs) I'm I'm sure. I mean, because you can be totally, like, like, I don't love that expression, beer goggles, but in a light of, like, there's, like, a sense of, like, uh, I don't know, being really drawn to somebody in a particular context or being horny or something. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm attracted to them. I'm sure that's happening in some way, uh, huh. given yeah. COVID lockdown, because you're just like, oh, like a like a body, and you're like consentingly <laughs> like, oh, they smell like a human. <laughs> it's a human being. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can feel like a pulse. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if I, because I I found this person attractive. I still find them attractive, but I wonder if it's COVID loneliness or uh, actually i don't think so i think i would always have found this person attractive also we matched on hinge before quarantine so i obviously oh that's cool oh and then after we hooked up um for reasons like separate from that i blocked him on everything (laughs) (laughs) so here we are um cool well congrats thank you (laughs) oh brian how are you feeling uh i'm excited because i am flying back to new york city tomorrow right but i'm also nervous 
and kind Ooh. of anxious because yeah, I've been home for the past four months and I'm now I'm going into a new environment. I had the feelings I feel right now mm. are like the day before your first day of school after a summer vacation. Oh. That's what how are you I feel wear? right now. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I laid out my outfit. So right now it's just a pair of blue jeans, a white t-shirt and it's some sneakers. Up. Right, right. So I don't want to make too much of a bold statement, but I kind of just want to <laughs> yeah, yeah. let people know like, hey, like I'm, I'm, I'm amiable, I'm friendly, I'm approachable. So that's what I'm that's what I'm uh, going with when I arrive in New York City. But um uh, Brian, I have two questions for you. Yeah. The first is <laughs> the first yeah. is, and they're related. So the first question is like what time are you arriving and then the second question is like what do you think you'll do on your first day back in New York? Do you so, have a full day to yourself? Yes, I do. But I so I arrive at 11:30 p.m. and oh. I have I have no choice. Time to hit the club. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I have no choice uh, in terms of like what I can or cannot do. I'm just going to be quarantined because Cuomo mm. like instated a uh, mandatory oh, yeah. quarantine for anyone that's traveling from Texas and Okay. Uh mm. yeah, so I'm just going to unpack and screaming in my room and i guess dilly dally for two weeks dilly dally so <laughs> right. you're not gonna have sex with somebody oh <laughs> one thirty that would be you see, see no, that would be uh, <laughs> absolutely not i am not going to do that young me so you know how you disclose okay. that you hooked up with someone and Brittany and i were yeah. like no that's totally fine that's good if i were to do the same when i'm supposed to be in quarantine having just traveled from texas you guys should throw me in jail if I did yeah. come out and say that I hooked up with someone. I want you to like hook up one of those like webcam like computer cameras so I can make sure you're not having sex with anyone. <laughs> and then I'll t- and then I will tell everybody. So Brittany, and to answer sure your, <laughs> to answer your question, Brittany, the, what what am I going to do with my first day back? I am going to install a Nest Home security device in my room <laughs> and before get, you like drop your bags and do that. Yeah. Right. That's the first thing I'm going. I do and i'm gonna text young me anytime i have the overwhelming urge to just fuck someone <laughs> you are my you're my sponsor uh young me i'm gonna you know? lock your door from the outside and then <laughs> <laughs> you tell me when you need to get groceries i'll come and open it for you right right i will just text you sos and <laughs> that's funny that you said that it feels like you're going back to school because my friend went back to work today Mm-hmm. um to the to her office and yesterday night she was like i feel like tomorrow is like i have a big test at school like that's those are the words that she used so i think something about this you know return to life i think a lot of people find that similar feeling of like it reminds them of being a kid and being on that level of nervousness yeah. or something that's really understandable i think I think yeah. I felt like that too. I, I've been back in New York now for a little bit over two weeks, I guess. Uh-huh. And maybe two weeks exactly. And I think I felt that too. I felt kind of giddy, but mm-hmm. also not really sure what my life would look like right away, obviously, like, or how many people I would see. But yeah, I, I feel yeah. that. Well, yeah. Brittany, how are you feel? How are you feeling? You know what? I'm really good right now, despite the, wor- the world um, I'm burning politically. Uh, medically economically but I um 
racially. I, I'm good right now because I've had a lot of sun. Like oh, I good. went to the beach. This is another part of this, like coming back from COVID lockdown conversation. I went to the beach three times in the past. I went Thursday, Friday, and yesterday, Sunday. Whoa, so that's I got a lot amazing. Of sun, like really intensely, really fast. And yeah. I think it's making me feel pretty happy. Like the first day on Thursday, I, I went to the Rockaways and then, um, I feel like there was this moment where I was like hopping around in the, what's it called? What's that? The shore. <laughs> I mean, just the shore, yeah. the line. <laughs> and I was like kind of bouncing around and I was like, I felt like a child like splashing around. And then mm -hmm. I was looking at the curvature of the horizon and it was like, wow, I'm at the ocean. And I was just like in my parents' house for three months. And despite everything, the world still turns like the current is present and like, I don't yeah. know. I was just seeing the power of the waves and I felt like really one with centrifugal force or like grab like, uh, <laughs> like the physics of the water. Uh, I like when you said, I feel very one, I was going to be like mother earth, but you're like centrifugal force. Right. You're, you are flexing <laughs> yeah, your nurturing. physics knowledge here. <laughs> when you I saw the curvature of the horizon and <laughs> felt the centrifugal force of us orbiting in space that. i was like damn I, really specific but i totally get what you're going what gravity, you're saying right now right. and then gravity. yesterday at the beach i was with some friends and there was this thing that kept happening at jacob reese beach park mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. a plane was like flying over every 15 minutes that was like saying the rockaways support nypd or something or like a line with what? them or like Whoa. yeah so they would basically fly over this beach park and every time they flew over all these people would start screaming like black lives matter and then sticking middle fingers up at the sky and i just told mm. my friend i was like <laughs> in the water like in like literally like in the ocean and i was like yeah. this takes on a bizarre new feeling when you're in the ocean and then you're like saying black lives matter it's like um <laughs> wow like my friend was like yeah you are of the sky and we are of the sea and it, it's like empowering in a new way so and then, yeah, yeah. yeah, I just feel like I had some fun friend time. I was, like, drinking. It was, like, nice summery energy that I didn't anticipate yeah. having yet. That's so awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a weird being in nature and seeing, like, little acts of, like, tiny men trying to own nature you know like it's so silly police, look look at what the police are blah, we support them like a little plastic banner and a little like <laughs> flimsy airplane and meanwhile the ocean and the and the sky and the universe is all around us like pulsing and the little like man being like look we're men and we're important like it's so embarrassing for them it's literally oh, good for you bro go away oh my uh, gosh not not in front of mother earth okay uh, as a man i should let you know that anytime that I piss on a hiking trail, I do feel pretty fucking important. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> that is so Wait. man, man quote. I peed in the ocean. The, the person I was with convinced me to pee in the ocean and I felt like shy about it or I felt like I was like, con you know, like contaminating, but also urine sterile and whatever it's ocean. So anyway, right. uh, yeah. I, I realized that I felt like in a movie, if like someone who's been in a cult has like a liberated moment, except it was just peeing in yeah. water. <laughs> but I felt like um, really free. Free, free. Anyways, Brittany, so glad <laughs> that you were able to get some sun, enjoy some good summer vibes mm. and you're here doing the podcast. And, uh, you know, we ask our guests this, how Asian are you? Okay, I feel, on a scale of something, I feel strong, a scale of like something, 
Okay, I feel strongly Asian. Strongly Asian, I like that. Mm-hmm. Strongly Asian. Good Tell us a little bit about the, your. Um, yeah, right. What's the thought process yeah. behind that? How did you come sure. to that conclusion? So like, okay, so I feel like so like numbers wise. So I'm a quarter Asian. I'm numerically speaking, I'm, my grandma's Japanese, so I'm a quarter Asian. So like fraction wise, I'm twenty five percent. But then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then but I um, I don't know. I grew. I was born and raised mostly in. Tokyo and I feel like it shaped me a lot as now as an adult and then I spent a few years as a child in Singapore and we moved yeah. to the U.S. when I was in high school and have right. lived it my parents have lived there since but I think that uh, I still like a lot of um, elements of, Jap- of Japanese society I think are still still resonate with me for better or for worse uh, <laughs> but I did get to I did pee in the ocean you know and yeah. that's not very like that's very Japanese oh <laughs> Well, I, was, I would say that's wait, very un-Japanese. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just made that up. That's. I mean, really I respect that, your descent. I felt like it was very un-Japanese. Like I felt like there's this expression. I actually agree with you. There, he, okay, yeah. Well, there's this expression in Japanese which means to like. You know how when languages have expressions that don't translate to English. Uh huh. Oh, I love that. But, yeah. but they like encompass something. So there's an expression in Japanese which is to like hold back, and it can be applied to certain mm. settings, like not taking the last like snack or or, ah. or or like not saying your actual opinion and i feel yeah, like yeah. that was like preventing me from freely peeing in the ocean oh the fact that oh. i could ultimately it took me like i had to like really relax and like feel the water and then yeah. i was like oh yeah this is like rugged american individualism but it's okay i'm taking up space oh my God. got it got it yeah that makes a lot of anyway. sense you see i interpreted it as un-japanese because uh japanese toilets are the fucking future so if you're not <laughs> if you're if you are not peeing in a toilet or a urinal that is from the year 4000 it is by definition <laughs> un-japanese so brian you thought <laughs> it was un-japanese because nature it's a waste is, of a pee right na- well nature is <laughs> just the most the rudimentary way to piss and that's very un-japanese <laughs> japanese people were yeah. Like, they will take your urine and then filtrate that into, like, the most beautiful sake. Like, that is... Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> okay. probably, like, in five years, it's just going to be something you can bring to the beach in Japan. Just, like, a device that goes up into your urethra very painlessly. And then sort of, like, some chemi- like whatever it does to the compounds. Yeah, it just reproduces into sake. I think you're right. So, that's why I felt un-Japanese. Yeah, that's interesting because, Brittany, like you, I am by or multi i don't know what the word is i guess multiracial, multiracial i'm yeah. like i mean my racial background is half korean and then i'm like a quarter you know like i don't think anyone cares about the white part it's i'm a, like 50 percent white but it's like a quarter irish and a quarter german but my oh, grandma yeah. was from ireland and she was like really into being irish and like she had all the cultural stuff which i don't know um but i feel like when you are it's interesting because like we are you know like when you're mixed it's it's interesting how you appear to people and yeah. then what but how you see yourself in your mind you know what i mean like yes. like the for me in my mind i'm like i'm korean you know you know like right. it's i don't identi- i don't like feel any sort of like connection to being german at all mm. do you know what i mean like i couldn't even na- you know i have no parts of myself or i don't in my like mind's eye i don't see myself as that at all yeah and it's just like it's but it has a lot to do with how you know where i was raised because i was also raised in korea cult and so yeah. i'm culturally very korean and that's like the first language that i spoke 
And so I feel like that has a lot to do with how we identify as like multiracial people. Interesting. Right? So yeah, to that point, Brittany, totally. do you identify as like what Young Me was saying as Japanese? Like in your mind? I, guess, I feel like that's evolved for me. I think obviously I feel pretty American. And then the question of whether of like how blackness plays into that for me evolves and I think is maybe a little bit circumstantial. But I feel, um, okay, so I feel in Japan now, mm. I feel initially like really American, like I really stand out. Even if, mm. like I keep having moments in the past um, five years or so when I've been back in Japan, like mm-hmm. I feel very glaringly like Western in the way I move and the way I'm like, navigating the, the city of Tokyo, for example, right. yeah. even if I can understand Japanese is my first language. And so I feel very comfortable with the language, but it also, yeah. despite that, I feel like um, maybe as concrete example is like when I, in 2017, I went to Tokyo with a friend and mm-hmm. like, I felt very comfortable like navigating the subway system when we got to our a- area where the Airbnb was. And as we walked out of the station, I asked a police officer in Japanese, like, directions on how, like, if he knew how to get to the street where Airbnb was. And there's this thing that happens in Japan where if you look different, like, people will kind of refuse to speak to you in Japanese. I think that happens in some East Asian countries. um, Or different, you know, what do you know what I'm talking about? And, like, he just responded in, like, incorrect English. He was like, (laughs) well, okay, he said, like, big street in, like, a very Japanese accent. I actually think about that a lot. Because I just kind of like went, I just sort of succumbed to it and I was like, okay, thank you. But yeah, yeah. I really, in retrospect, could have said a number of things that were just like, um, no, like Japanese is fine or like you can keep speaking in Japanese. And I think like, mm. um, I just kind of gave up and in that moment I felt really American. Yeah. Even yeah. if, does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, that happens to me a lot, too, because I don't look to Korean people. I just do not look Korean, which surprises my American friends because to them I look very Asian. But to Koreans, they're like, who is this freaking weird? (laughs) (laughs) They look at me like, and (laughs) sorry. But uh, and so but you know what? You know, when I was thinking about that sort of incident, because that happens to me a lot in Korea, like just people, if I start speaking Korean, they're like, oh, my God, your Korean is so good or whatever. And even though most of the time it's like a positive, like surprise, I think deep down inside, it really hurts my feelings because it's like some sort of rejection. Yeah. Like they're rejecting you. Like you're like being like, no, no, I'm part of your family. And they're like, no, you're not. Yeah. I totally understand. Harmful. A lot of times when I'm leaving Korea, I find myself being really emotional because I'm like, it's, it almost feels like I'm trying to like connect with like a part of my family and they just will not accept me. Mm. Yeah. I I can see that. Yeah. Also, I want to mention that you said that you went up to a police officer and I just feel like in America and I feel like this is for people who don't really travel in America. The police are a fucking uh, terrorist organization. But in other countries, (laughs) it's just people that are sort of a little too skinny and weak. And then they help you with directions. (laughs) The Japanese police are so lethargic. Their arms are so skinny. (laughs) I know even in Korea yeah cautious I actually have two like also more recently this is separate but like um it's about the police in Japan and just like the energy and how I just think that the culture surrounding police is pretty different but like I remember in 2018 yeah I was with somebody in Tokyo and it was like uh it was like 4 a.m because we were uh 
jet lag. It was like our first night there. So we were like, out, we went to a convenience store and we were in this part of Tokyo called Ebisu, which does have some like English speaking clubs or bar, little bars there, but it's like a relatively quiet neighborhood. And then there was this, um, uh, like Eastern European woman who was like really inebriated, unfortunately, and like very drunk and like screaming. Uh, and there was Japanese policemen just trying to get her, I guess, somewhere like say or like trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. And she yeah. thought that she was at her home, but she was kind of wobbling around like near a convenience store. So there was like three Japanese police officers who were just trying to get her into a car, and she was really alarmed and screaming in English, like, "No, no," you know, and very upset. It was like actually. It was, it was like a pretty, it was like an upsetting sight, except for the fact that the Japanese officers were just trying to very delicately like get her into a car. And they kept yeah. saying, I remember that she said this, she was like, she said in English, like, no. And then they said in response, <laughs> like, no, but like very politely and just kind of like <laughs> a little bit fretting. But like, and she was so. They're so confused. They're so confused and like just really, really politely trying to just get her into a vehicle. And I don't think they were, I don't know, they were probably just trying to like figure out where this lady is supposed to sleep, you know? So, police and yeah, I feel like in in East Asia, the place where police are coming from are like the concierge. Like that's their, that's their energy. Concierge energy. I I would always see in Korea like the police. trying to like help a drunk person you that's like yeah. the time you see them a lot and it'll just right. be some old drunk korean man trying to punch them in the face and they're like ajoshi ajoshi like holding him like ajoshi like they feel bad for him and it's just like oh right. in america and you the korean get cops murdered. Re- yeah <laughs> yeah korean, but they were like three of them were like trying to hold him like one of them was like ajoshi no with korean cops it's clear that they're just trying to do a job and they want to go home to their family. <laughs> they're there to help they're society. Not out, they're that's not out what, there that's to harm Helping or society cause looks like. I wanted to ask, Brittany, so y- y- you described the story with the police officer as, you know, an, uh, of a very clear example where you felt very American. And I yeah. was wondering, how has your relationship to your black identity changed because I'm sure. sure it has from the time you grew up in Japan and then your subsequent move to America in high school. Sure. I have a lot of uh, thoughts and, and feelings about this. I think like as a child, like, so basically every, from when I was really little, we would visit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and then Annapolis, Maryland to see different family members. And w- especially mm-hmm. when we went to um, Philadelphia like we'd go we'd attend like the church that my dad grew up in which is like an AME church like black Methodist church and like um Mm -hmm. like I don't know hang out in the neighborhood and like the neighborhood where my grandmother and uncle lived and definitely interacting with those like that community I felt so foreign like I felt really Mm -hmm. something if I felt really Asian I guess but like yeah I definitely I felt just like of Japan and not um not a black neighborhood in Philadelphia are like my dad would teach Sunday, some Sunday school sometimes at the international churches that we, I went to in, in Japan. So uh-huh. he right. did that a little bit at his childhood church in Philadelphia. And I just remember feeling like I w- didn't know the community that these kids knew. Mm-hmm. And I felt that pretty glaringly also through my like preteen years. And then um, when we moved to the U S I was 14 and I felt so not black enough for mm. the high school. And the high school I went to was like, 
Um, it's a pretty like fluffy. It's a public. It was a public school, and it's like pretty well resourced, and it's like sort of generally diverse, but it's fairly white, I'd say. And mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, and of my close group of friends, I was one of two black uh, girls, and I feel like um, that that I made eventually. And I feel like, especially the first half semester that I was there, I felt really alien and like very Japanese, and like I. Mm felt really um like uncomfortable with my body and how I took up space at this high school I felt like I didn't know how to relate to like other black peers there uh Mm. except that obviously as a kid I'd grown up with like some black friends but they were also like in Japan I don't know so maybe Mm, they had similar things but um so then I feel like I uh always felt a little bit of an outsider until a bit later, like there are moments I feel like um, that my blackness became more apparent to me. So when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school. I was mm-hmm. sad because there was like a junior, uh, sorry, there's a senior semi-formal dance. And a lot of my friends had dates and I was sad that I didn't have a date and I cried actually. And my mom was trying to talk to me about how basically like racism and general beauty standards, even in like a pretty friendly suburban area like mm-hmm. she was trying to explain that like yeah i don't know maybe that's why a lot of like white boys aren't asking you to this dance mm-hmm. now did your mom wow did your mom ever uh broach these topics or like introduce this facet of race while you were in japan or was this something that just came up in your time i in think America? it came up not explicitly in like okay. a conversation or at least not to my memory mm, i just have wow. concrete memories of a few little things like there was um, a recital it was in second grade and my hair my mom had like put into pigtails and they were like puffy pigtails and i just remember my friend like feeling it and then my mom mm. being kind of like i don't know protective about it kind of like pat- patting my hair and like brushing my friends like very delicately like brushing my friends hand yeah, out of yeah, the way yeah. and I definitely mm-hmm. remember like I don't know going to something pool there's Tokyo American Club is the name of this like community center for where a lot of expats are so I just uh-huh. remember being like at the swimming pool or something and like friends commenting on the fact that my hair dried very fast or whatever you know uh-huh. like just mm-hmm. like on that my hair's texture was different but then my and my mom kind of protectively commenting on it but she never like had a real conversation with me the only time mm-hmm. I really remember that is like this particular experience senior year of high school and um, mm-hmm. after that, I went to college in Hawaii where I've mentioned before, like, I think I, uh, in retrospect, that was a unique experience because I felt like I looked like a lot of people, but didn't really, oh. like, I was but the first a, last yeah. time I just kind of looked like a lot of people there because everyone's mixed and brown and Asian and yeah. Pacific Islander. And right, sometimes right. people thought I was Tongan or something, which, um, yeah. you know, so... I don't know. I just, in retrospect, while my younger sister went to college in Savannah, Georgia, uh-huh. and during the Obama's second election and really sort of faced black-white race relations there, I think when right. I was a college student, I didn't really experience it in the same way just because I was in a culturally and demographically unique place. I think yeah, that yeah. I really started to make sense of my own blackness until I was older when I was like 23-ish, 23, 22 moving to D.C., uh-huh. uh, where I attended graduate school for American history, and I worked ultimately at a Civil War museum. Right. I really felt like I had this intense, um, uh, like, revelation about, like, mm. blackness. That's, and like Yeah, that's 
zero to one million. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it freaked me out. And I remember, call, I remember talking to my dad about it on the phone, and he said, "You're focusing a lot on race. Like we weren't raised this way." Mm. And yeah, what he yeah, meant, yeah. I know that's a strange sentence because I was really confused in the moment. I was like, "Well, what? Like you." Like, he grew up in the civil rights era in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. But what he meant is that he didn't raise my sister and I to have to worry about it. And was now kind of, I think, and to this day, even through in reaction and the reaction to George Floyd and all of the protests yeah. uh, in the wake of everything, my dad is also re- recognizing that he didn't raise my sister and I to have to really experience our blackness because we were just overseas. And now there's nothing really stop- like we have to. We have to reckon with it because to. the world is. Yeah, I remember we were discussing this uh, previously that this was, you know, I when I heard ab- about your dad sort of like sheltering you from that, it, it maybe it felt like he was keeping you from a part of your culture. But also but how I see it is that he was trying really hard to protect you from the, yeah. the, the racism that is like so horrible and such a big part of america and i feel like but you know like in a way my dad is white but i feel like there's a lot of a lot of those reasons were why he chose to raise my sister and i in korea yeah but, right but also also i kind of feel this thing now like similar to what you were saying where you know i argue with my dad on the phone a lot because he's a secret trump supporter and that's a long story but um mm-hmm. But, like, the other day I was, like, you know, like, screaming at him. We were in an argument. And he was, like, that's why I fucking... He still lives in Korea. He's, like, that's why I fucking left. It's a horrible fucking place. I told you fucking, you know, like, don't don't go there. I fucking told you. Whatever, right? And I was, like, screaming at him. And I so very dramatically (laughs) screamed, I would fucking rather die fighting here than, like, go hide. And that's so dramatic of me. And so I screamed that and then I hung up the phone. So I feel like there's... <laughs> and then I blocked him on everything. That's my MO, guys. Um, so, but... <laughs> wait, so... But the so, thing is, wait. like, I am having this sort of... A sort of, like, disagreement with my dad right now that sounds... I mean, it sounds like you you and your dad are, like, way more civil about it. And you're it's, like, a discussion for you. But, like, me personally, it's, like, I'm so... I don't know why. I'm, just like, so upset... I, I don't know. It like really upsets me that I, I think part of it is because I did experience a lot of racism towards me in Korea yeah. for being biracial and it was really painful and he never took that into consideration. This is my follow up yeah. question, Brittany, is I can understand that that was your dad's approach to, uh, I guess, mm, that, that I mean, that that's how he decided to handle your, yeah. uh, your, mul- like your, your identity and is racism not as pervasive in japan like is it in an environment where you did not have to like sit you down and confront like address it right. because it seems like he tried to sh- he sheltered you in a way and like did yeah. try to avoid this conversation i'm excited for this yeah, answer it's extremely pervasive and this actually came up recently because I, okay there are so many conversations surrounding this i think like being black in japan so recently my sister, there's some YouTube series called like Black in Japan. So it's literally just like different Ooh. people and like professionals that are black in Japan and they talk about their experience. Okay. And I actually haven't watched that many because I also have a weird complex about like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like I'm like very curious about other people's experiences, but I'm almost like, oh, I'm not even ready to like hear this or something. Mm. So, yeah. but my sister found 
one of these videos and my sister is in LA. She sent it to my parents who are in Philadelphia. Like very, this was like in the past two weeks. And it's like a man who is, I guess like a new, like a news anchor, either both maybe in English and Japanese and he's black American. And like, mm. um, um, his name is like Robert Johnson or something. So he, so my, he, she sent this video to my parents and was like, Oh, did you know of this guy? Because I guess he's been doing like radio for de- decades in Japan. And oh, okay. my parent, my mom, my mom grew up there, but my dad moved there in the eighties. So, um, anyway, whatever. So my da- my parents were like, "Oh yeah, we were just watching his videos by coincidence. We realized that we did recognize his voice from like English language news radio and some commercials in Japan in the nineties, and in his video." what it said, like a poll quote says that I'm free here. And I think that's mm. really compelling because I also mm. know of somebody else. My gymnastics teacher as a kid is black and he's married to a Japanese woman and they have uh, like four sons who are obviously half black, half Japanese. Right. And I, and all attended English language international school, but they're also very embedded in Japanese culture too, because of the mom. And that is an example of a person I think too, who, feels relatively free as a black man in Japan because he's free from like white black race relations in the US. Mm-hmm. However, Japan is as a island nation that is xenophobic does struggle with navigating like a lot of hard racist issues towards mm-hmm. black people. Also, I think um you know, Asians of different regions, right, on the continent. Yeah. Uh, right. so Koreans. Koreans. Oh, yeah. It's a whole thing. I Chinese think. people. Yeah. And I don't think that I really processed that until I was older. When I was 20, when I was 20, 21, I was a, as a junior. I went back to Japan to study abroad in like a yeah. rural university. But I mean, but that's like an hour outside of Tokyo. But in that environment, I realized like Japanese pop culture can be really fascinated with like aspects of Western culture, whether it's music or fashion or Hollywood but right. it's a little mm-hmm. bit different if you're black. They're a bit more scared. Mm. 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 Scared. Mm. But also, there are subcultures that are really into hip hop culture too, and like yeah. bra- and like bronze themselves, and like wear braids. And oh, listen, right. you know, that's a whole oh, other yeah. thing. It's just complicated, I think. But I guess it's like that's my general feeling. Is in general, it's cool if you're American, but it's a different story if you're black. There's more familiarity there. Sometimes I was talking about Hawaii a little bit earlier. Like, right. yeah. I feel like the understanding that I developed as I wound down in my four years there, as I, where I felt like an out, I was saying earlier that I felt like I looked like a lot of people, and that mm-hmm. will stay with me, I think, for the rest of my life. Like, it's like I, I'm still probably processing mm-hmm. the four years I lived in this like unique place, but I definitely mm-hmm. felt like an outsider in that I, I wasn't of I wasn't of local culture, and I hadn't grown up there, of course. Mm, but the right. point is that um, I was like, oh. Like the the model minority conversation also plays out there too in a really interesting way where I feel like so it's like white Americans and like Japanese Americans occupy certain professional fields like medicine or law or whatever Mm -hmm. right so it's like a socioeconomic ladder and then there's like Chinese Americans and Korean Americans that are in Hawaii are catching up to that um, however whatever that means like they're like it's like they're all sort of in a conversation together Uh, and then unfortunately it's like increasingly like south asian mm-hmm. in hawaii and then like people from the philippines and also like a largely uh people from different parts of the pacific islands and hawaiians will often so economically get the short end 
of the stick, or at least that's been the historic case, I feel like, for the past two decades or so. Mm-hmm. And right. I, it was really interesting as an as like a black person, like seeing how this um, plays out in businesses. And I think because it is a place where the demographics are different from many places in the U.S., the mi- the model minority conversation exists, but the terms are different. And I feel like, mm. I don't know, I, I'm thinking of Hawaii just because I mentioned it earlier and I, and I right. feel like I was... It was formative for me, but yeah. um, right. I think you know yeah. what you're what you're talking about. It reminds me of like, well, this has a lot to do with Japan. Like, it, with within Asian people, even in America, everywhere, and but specifically in Asia, there is like a there is like a supremacy thing going on, right? Where like yeah. Japanese culturally they do believe themselves at the top of that ladder, like believed internally with a lot of East Asians, right? Right. So I feel like that for Japanese people, I feel like a lot of the xenophobia comes from this like Japanese supremacy ideology, right? I feel like increasingly more national conversation about xenophobia. So, well, I, I'm like shocked to hear that you're saying that it's part of the more part of the national conversation. Cause like my understanding of Japan is that, like nationally they're sort of in denial of their issues with racism and xenophobia but obviously you know i have never lived there yeah so i I feel like because like for me like i have friends that are japanese that live in japan and like for in america we're all like we're all racist racism is a huge deal here we're literally protesting on the street but i've like i feel like in that society it's not out and open that they're like hey we are a racist society like that doesn't seem no and to be right. honest there's some i think the current black lives matter protests that are breaking out in japanese like in tokyo at least uh-huh. I don't, maybe it's breaking out in other cities it seems like according to a few news articles from japanese english from english language japanese news sources also that mm-hmm. it's like coming more to light and wow. um yeah i was really charmed i first learned about black lives matter protests in tokyo just through like like a, a mother of a girl that I went to kindergarten with who does, she's the mother is um, half white, half Japanese and, and married a half white, half Japanese man. And so the girl that's like my age, the now old woman, <laughs> is both, but grew up like in a, you know, environment, but yeah. also tied to Japanese society. The point is that this mother posted about, uh, and she's got to be my mom's age, like 60s, she she, she attended a uh, a march in in Tokyo, a Black Lives Matter yeah. march, and then then I realized there was a lot more of that happening, oh, and I that's think nice. I'm so curious to see how Japanese news is covering that. Like yeah, Japanese news and media, I feel like is still relatively in this realm of like if there's a black and Japanese person that speaks excellent Japanese and they're like a local like they're like a celebrity it's still kind of like Mm -hmm. it's held as this like gawking thing like oh wow like oh yeah yeah we're putting them in the spotlight because they look like this but they speak like us yeah Yeah, they they have so many of those in Korea and yeah oh they do don't they yeah Yeah, and I think Korea is similar to Japan in that like in theory we have these conversations where you're like yeah of course obviously like racism is bad but there's it it never goes any in, deeper. Yeah. It's like it's just that, and I think everyone sort of just accepts like, well, it is what it is. Like this is just the world. Like you know, yeah, people yeah, who are yeah, different. Yeah. Like we're Korea. Like, so were there George Floyd protests playing out in Korean cities? 
Yeah, there yeah. was in Seoul. I saw it. I cool. saw. I was yeah. thinking about actually the experience of black people protesting, at least, like in Tokyo, where it's mm-hmm. like so they're not in, they don't face the same danger as people that are like mm-hmm. policing danger, like how militarized the counter protest presence is, right? Like, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Like the so Japanese police are just like, sirs. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're just like, like oh. this, is, this is the way to City Hall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are you yeah. lost, right. sir? And I guess my emotional response to that was like, oh, that's kind of, that's like nice and beautiful, actually. I think it's like yeah. something that reminded me of aspects of my childhood and aspects of these black people who are like saying that they're free in Japan. Like, I think mm. in Japan is a very racist place. And what I didn't think about is how my dad experienced it. And I didn't talk about that with him until I was a bit later, older, like I was right. like 20. Right. Um, and he, I think, went through a lot. But yeah. I think... Um, at least talking about protesting, you can be black and empowered in this East Asian city and protest and you're away from tear gas. And I don't think I've really thought about that until like now because there's a spotlight on protesting and, yeah. and police reaction to it or protection. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could argue I mean, that yeah. that's why we need it even more here because the response is so hostile in this country. Yeah, You know, I have to say, Brittany, your point is very valid like that you know there's no danger like that black man being like i'm free in japan there might be no danger but where if there is anti-black racist ideology in your society that's the root of it and obviously even though you're not getting shot over it like in america we have to we have to like kill it at the root you know what i mean like yeah in japan where you're safe safer to be black if it's still going around people's heads to like be racist and hate other people yeah it's still living it's a living thing and we have to kill it there and i think it's safer too just because even i was gonna say culturally but i guess also institutionally people just don't usually say what they're thinking in japan that's like part of the ethos and i feel like i can say that as someone who grew up there you know like um, so i think that i don't know um but i don't want to yeah but that's scary too it's scary. It's its own it's very monster. Scary. Right. Um, That's really interesting. Um, also, I th- I think that the but the secret to America's problems is we fire all the cops, hire Japanese cops, <laughs> <laughs> and they're so weak. <laughs> I think you're right, Young Me. That's the solution: is we should replace all American cops with Japanese cops. <laughs> nice guys that are just always stretch. They're always like sitting in the. They have nothing to do. They're always like stretching their necks. They're stretching their necks. They're stretching their necks. Um, Brittany, before we let you go, can you tell us something that you're proud of? Cops. Oh sure. Um, I was thinking about this before, so I think that the reason I'm thinking about this is because I was just at my parents' house using their grown-up kitchen with some more ingredients. I um. I'm really proud of my sense of Japanese cooking. I, it was something that I feel like I got more in touch with when I moved to the U.S. as a teenager because I like mm. to read Japanese cookbooks to practice oh. reading. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm proud of my Japanese cooking. I, I really am as an adult. Oh, my God. That's so exciting. I really want to try some of your food. I'm starving right now. Oh, I'm really hungry. What's your go-to, like, what what do you think is, like, your favorite thing to make, or what do you think is, like, the best mm, thing that yeah. you make? I feel like some of my favorite Japanese dishes are simple ones, so I really yeah. like making just, like, a nice Japanese rice and eating it with Japanese pickles, um, yeah. and, or just, like, salt yeah. and black sesame seeds, and a miso soup uh, made with, like, uh, seaweed or shiitake bro- uh, dashi, 
you know, stock and like walking with seaweed or um, or tofu. And I really like making like a miso glaze for like a protein, like salmon or tofu or for chicken or something. Um, it's like something that's simple. Like I really love the Japanese flavor profile and working with mm. it. I think that's really you know amazing. What? Yeah. Because that's amazing. Oh, thanks. Like yeah, I, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Like I, I am proud and thankful that my parents taught me like korean growing up and so i have that conversational fluency yeah, but awesome. when i when i examine my own cooking my cooking is just white as shit it's very like oh. chicken breast broccoli just pure sustenance to- zero yeah. flavor yeah. and i went to a uh, brian's uh, house and he made me like a sandwich once i remember, <laughs> remember that i was like yeah, that's cute but Thanks, as i've uh, but right as <laughs> was I've, it a peanut butter it was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <gasps> i just <laughs> remember that but as i'm as i'm getting older th- i think this is a huge gap that i can recognize in my own closeness to my korean identity is that i don't really know how to cook korean food that well and i think it's oh. it's limiting how korean i i feel uh internally i feel like the only thing i know how to cook is korean food cool right well, that's so, if that, so ba- okay really- young me so if i go over to your place and i ask you for something you're not gonna give me a peanut butter and banana sandwich <laughs> i'm gonna, g- I'm, gonna you give you- I'm gonna give you like kupchang <laughs> you're gonna give me intestine <laughs> intestines <laughs> oh blood sausage <laughs> Um, Brittany, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast and like just being so open and sharing all your experiences with us. Uh, do you have anything to plug so our listeners can find Um, you or your work? How about this? If I have an online show or video or whatever, I have posted largely on my Instagram. So find me at, uh, Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore carnage on Instagram. And carnage is not my last name, but sometimes in person people bring me on as Brittany Carnage and it's not my last name last name is Carney but I'm on Instagram as Brittany Carnage that is very psycho yeah it's like WWE or something like Brittany Carnage Brittany Carnage and I'm like so like meek as a person. Okay. Anyway, you guys ready to Brittany. rock with some ten minutes of comedy? <laughs> the flames coming out. Okay, you are the, you are the Japanese policeman of people. Oh my god, that's an honor. <laughs> you know, so sweet. That's an honor. But that is a good code of conduct, actually. Yeah, I I want to be like them too. Uh, All right. What about you, young me? Oh, why am mayor? everywhere how about you brian uh you guys can find me at it's brian park everywhere and uh right. yeah thanks for listening guys new episodes every wednesday and if you haven't please follow our podcast page at feeling asian podcast and we do instagram lives every wednesday night so if you guys want to just chill and get really upset and relive racist trauma that you endured in your high school highly recommend <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh thanks guys thank bye. you bye